from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their. Welcome into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. I am Ben McKee here on the first day of the early signing period. Early signing period. Technically, it's in 2023, but it's for the recruiting class of 2024. So I honestly don't even know which year to say, if I'm being completely completely honest. Uh, But for the 2024 recruiting class, the early signing period has arrived and the first day has pretty much concluded uh, a drama-free day for Tennessee. And we are going to discuss the first day of the early signing period and recap uh, what has happened so far for Tennessee on the recruiting trail, both through the high school ranks and in the transfer portal. And to do that, we are going to talk to Ryan Callahan, the recruiting analyst here on the site, who is doing a great job of covering all things Tennessee recruiting as well as anybody. And then, of course, the one and only Patrick Brown is finally gracing us with his presence. It took John Morant <laughs> hitting a game winner uh, for him to join us here on the podcast. And, and we're so thankful for Patrick joining us that we're going to allow him to lead off uh, the podcast as if he is Ronald Acuna Jr. in the offseason down in the Dominican uh, and give us his thoughts on uh, Tennessee's signing class. I know technically it's not official, Patrick. Uh, there, there's still work to be done, and, and Tennessee will continue to add throughout the offseason with the way the recruiting calendar is set up. But uh, your thoughts on on Tennessee's recruiting class as it currently sits and, and what Tennessee has done up until this point? Well, Ben, if, if we're going to talk about John Morant and Ronald Acuna Jr. on our podcast, and I'm going to come on them much more frequently, uh, I will start off with that. Um, th- this recruiting class, I I think I was uh, looking at it with a 13th in the in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. Uh, and, of course, we have um, the recruit rankings for just high school and junior college players. And then we have transfer rankings for uh, our portal rankings. And we do have a combined. Um, I think that's that's a pretty cool feature that we have at 24-7 sports. And so in, these, in this day and age, you've got to look at really the combined as much as some teams are focusing on the portal. But you know, Tennessee's not one of those teams. And um, you know, I, I think if you are a, are a blue chip ratio guy uh, or an average rating guy, this is um, or or gal, this is your this is your recruiting class. I mean, I think it's um, 21 signees from the high school junior college ranks. and I believe it's 11 that are ranked five or four stars by 24 seven sports. So you're above that that 50 percent threshold. Um, and, and in and, the com- in the composite, a couple more that are that are four stars. Right. There, so it's like 13 there. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think tennis, uh, Josh Heupel and the staff are continuing to improve the talent level. Um, you start with the two wide receivers that are top 100 players, Mike Matthews, Braylon Staley. Um, those are guys that are, are should be exciting additions to this offense. Really like this offensive line class. Um, I think you got to start there. They continue to recruit the Leo position really well with Jordan Ross, a five star. Ken Lindstrom is a guy that I think Ryan really likes as well. And then, and then the defensive backfield as well, you know, that's a position, a group that's clearly the, the, the page is getting flipped there. 
Uh, and I like which, you know, I like what Tennessee did there with Caleb Beasley and, and Marcus Gorey and Boo Carter. Um, I think I'm probably leaving one guy out too, but uh, you, you stack that group on with what they brought Andrews in. Farouk. Thank you, Ben. Um, you, you, you add that group to what you brought in with the last class, what you brought in with a couple of transfers uh, this week. Um, and, and you feel like you, you've got something going pretty good there, but uh, this class is good, but there's always going to be that level of like, okay, what could have been because they were in on so many guys at various points of the cycle and uh, at different, you know, different stages they led for some really, really big names. And ultimately those guys went elsewhere. So uh, coaches will always say you have to worry about the guys you get and not the guys that you don't get. But there were a lot of guys that if Tennessee had gotten them, you know, we're talking about, a you know, a, a really exciting class. Not that this one's not exciting, but um, there's always going to be an element of what if to this class. I think you have to start there. But uh, I think you also have to point out that this is has the potential to be another really good class and, and continue to elevate Tennessee's talent level um, as, as the program moves forward under Josh Heibel. By the way, total side note here, but I had to I had to consult my uh, the notes I've made on pronunciations of players' names because I haven't we haven't said his name a whole lot. But for anybody wondering out there, it's Edris Farouk, not Edris, which I, I was saying for a while, Edris. But anyway, um, hold on, I, I can't um, hear the I couldn't hear the difference there. Hold on, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a it, a, a funny note, Ryan, and and <laughs> you can have the floor. As soon as I said Edris, my initial thought was wait. That's not the correct way to pronounce that. I will oh, receive a text message from Ryan Callahan in a split second <laughs> telling <laughs> no. me how to pronounce it. No, I, I, I honest, I wasn't trying to correct you. I was like, wait, I don't remember <laughs> if that's right. I, I hadn't said it in so long. We, we've talked about him so little. He's really one of the forgotten men in this class who might be. It's I, a fun might name turn to out say. To be, it is. Edris. Uh, Patrick, I was saying at the end instead of the z sound so that's that's all i was saying there but um but yeah so it he might be a, a nice nice find i think there are a couple of those in this class that could could really turn out to be steel that's a guy who had 30 offers or so and, and not a not an extremely high ranking and uh tennessee was pretty high on him early in the process and got him back in the spring but yeah when you look at this class as a whole like you said patrick i think you do have to keep the big picture in mind at all times because when you look at what happened and and obviously we're all guilty of recency bias. Uh, I think when you look at the last four months leading up to signing day, after the the addition of Jordan Ross back in August, not a whole lot went right for Tennessee down the stretch. Not that there were too many names left on the board to begin with, um, but they missed out on Chris Cole in September, and that was one where Tennessee kind of came back in late. They, they didn't really go after him at first in the spring, and then after missing on a, a couple other linebacker targets, they decided to make a push for him as he was in the middle of his official visits in June. So that's one where they were still trying to play catch up. And they did pretty well, honestly, just to get in a situation where they were one of the, the, the final three teams or so in the mix for him at the, at the end with Georgia. Um, and then, you know, the, the other two at the end were the ones that hurt more, you know, obviously Cam Michael um, missing out on a longtime top wide receiver target that goes to Colorado on Thanksgiving. That That's one that for a while, a lot of people felt Tennessee was going to get him and you end up short at wide receiver at least in part because of that. And then obviously Jordan Seaton, unless that one switches here at the, at the 11th hour, because as of the recording, I was about this, to say he's, he's still out there. I was going to say, as of the recording of this podcast, he has yet to sign. Um, there was plenty of speculation on Wednesday that uh, Jordan Seaton might end up flipping to Maryland. Uh, he of course is from Maryland, originally played in Washington, DC at St. John's college high school uh, before transferring down to IMG Academy earlier this year. And that, 
that's that's an interesting development. I I did wonder because Maryland stayed in his group of finalists even though they didn't get an official visit, and I kind of thought, I mean, you're you're tempted to think in that situation, hey, the home state school, he's just giving them like a nod of respect there by including them. That's that's nice, but sometimes Maryland has done this before. Like they have this sneaky ability to hang around in it with people from their backyard, especially. And they get some of those Maryland kids. I remember Kim Jarrett a few years ago that they flipped from LSU, a, a, a longtime Tennessee target that ended up switching at the last minute. So they've they've pulled this off before. So if it happens, just keep that in mind. They've 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 got a little bit of a history of getting homegrown kids to to come there when they really set their sights on them. But um, but Tennessee has has still been in contact there. So I guess you can't rule out anything. I just think there's a lot more optimism right now on the Maryland end. And apparently he snuck there for an official visit this past weekend. But for now, it looks like he's headed elsewhere still, so we'll we'll go with that. But those three, those few misses there down the stretch, and then you combine that with Roger Saliaponga, the four-star tight end picking Oregon. It was just you know death by a thousand cuts down the stretch. It wasn't a lot, but it was just enough here and there to make Tennessee fans feel like they were missing out on everything. And you sort of lose sight of the big picture when it, when it feels that way. And the big picture is that, like you said, Patrick, there's two five stars at the top of this class in Mike Matthews and Jordan Ross. There's a couple other top 100 players in Braylon Staley and uh, and Bennett Warren. They, they've got a really good offensive line class, finally did a better job of addressing that position. They hit most of their needs pretty well, still fell a little short at receiver, fell a little short at tight end probably, and, and obviously not a not a loaded defensive line class, so so missed out on some guys there that made that a not ideal defensive line class. So not not perfect by any means, but you can live with not perfect in the transfer portal era and kind of patch up the holes later. Uh, I just think you've got to kind of look at the, I think you look at the top half of a recruiting class more now than ever before, because it's so easy to fix a bad bottom half of your class through the transfer portal that I don't, I don't worry about that too much. I think it's all about the big, the big swings you take and the ones you hit on. Uh, If you get a bunch of top 100 players at the top, I'm much less concerned if you've got some iffy guys at the bottom, because those guys might be in the portal in a year anyway, even if they are good. So um, if you if you hit on some big big guys that are top 100 players and they live up to the hype, that makes a successful recruiting class these days. So I, I think you look at the top half of this class, there's a lot of quality. Like you said, Patrick, a lot of four and five stars. Those guys live up to the hype. This has a, this has a chance to be a really good class and right in line with what Tennessee did a year ago. I understand there were some missed opportunities and that's, that's how this class will be remembered uh, to a lot of people. But I think you also can't lose sight of the fact that there are some really good players who are probably going to play a lot of football for Tennessee over the next few years. And this to me is a, is a class that keeps the train on the tracks, allows you to keep building on what you've been doing over the past couple of years. It's just not that, that that super memorable class that has a Nico or someone like that in there that makes people think, wow, this is the one that propels Tennessee to the next level. It's just sort of in line with what they did last year besides Nico, which is still, really good it's just not as good as it could have been if things had fallen differently well i would disagree with with a little bit of that last sentiment ryan i, I agree with everything you said up until the the last little bit because i i think there is some star potential in this class with a mike matthews a there, no, there is yeah there is i'm just saying that's to me that's more in line quality wise it feels like it's in line with what tennessee did last year just not you just don't have the number two overall player in the class like Nico. Well, not the number a, two overall player. That's what I mean. Just like a generational the, the quarterback guy at the top. The, like what makes Nico so special is the fact that he's a a, a quarterback. I mean, it, in the in the grand scheme of things, Nico and Jordan Ross overall 
aren't that too far ranked apart from one another. Uh, Ross sure. is 15, Nico's two. One's in a defensive lineman, edge rusher, and one's a quarterback. I mean, that that's kind of not – people are obviously excited about Jordan Ross, but it's not going to generate the same amount of, of excitement as a quarterback who is number yeah. two in the country, and some people are saying he's better than Arch Manning. Right. And, so, that, and it's and it's very seldom that Tennessee has landed the one or two or, th- or even three player in the class uh, at any position. You know, Bryce Brown. I mean, you can count on one hand the number of times that's happened. So that, that's all I meant. But yeah, the fact that it's a quarterback certainly adds to it. But yeah, you don't have that guy that people are thinking is just like a program changing player. I mean, people think right. Mike Matthews is really good, but they've had really good receiver signings before Cordero Patterson and Justin Hunter and guys like that. So I it's it's good and people are excited. It's just not a Nico type situation where people are like, "Wow, this takes Tennessee to the next step." That's all I meant. Yeah, and again, I didn't make that comment to necessarily call you out. It was part of yeah. the next conversation that I was going to bring up, and that's that there there is a little, and both of you kind of touched on this, especially you, Ryan, and your wet blanket. There there is a touch of of disappointment, Sorry. just a, a hint of it. Uh, and there is a little bit of an overreaction going on, in, in my humble opinion. Uh, and there is concern being being voiced, and not necessarily concern, but a little too much concern being voiced, in my opinion. And my point in bringing up the Boo Carter and, and Mike Matthews, and there's some others like a Jordan Ross that, that could potentially uh, really be star players for Tennessee and future first-round Picks. I mean, the, those those guys have that ability. I think because they committed so early in the process, people are forgetting that Tennessee did win their fair share of battles in, in terms of like the Cam Michaels and, and some of those other names that you mentioned. They're very disappointing and not excusing that Tennessee necessarily lost out within those battles. But it feels like because there's been more misses of late it seems like people are more caught up on the misses because the hits were, were so long ago, at least in, in, in the world of recruiting July seems like forever ago when Tennessee really cashed in on, on a lot of momentum, which brings me to my, my overall thought, Patrick, that it's a, it's a good recruiting class. I think there are a lot of quality football players within this recruiting class from top to bottom. Uh, with a little bit of star power, as I just mentioned. I think for the most part, they did a good job of addressing needs throughout the roster. Uh, Ryan did mention maybe a little light here and there, um, and that's certainly a fair point. But, hey, they, they can add between now and February or now and the end of the spring semester. So maybe uh, they do find that third receiver. There, There's a portal receiver that, that they're crazy after right now from from Tulane and if they're able to land him then you pair him with Braylon Staley and Mike Matthews all of a sudden that receiver class looks looks totally different uh and and it's like that at some other spots so I think they added a lot of good quality football players and they they pretty much addressed the roster the way that it needed to to be addressed but as good as this was spinning it forward and this is where I will bring in the the folks who are a little disappointed at some point good is not going to be good enough uh at a place like Tennessee the expectation is to win championships and if Tennessee is going to win championships and consistently year in year out compete for championships then they are going to have to turn up the recruiting a notch I don't know how much of a notch it needs to be turned up but at some point 
this staff as a whole is going to need to take the next step on the recruiting trail in in my opinion and i think this upcoming year is a is a big year for recruiting for a lot of assistance on this staff especially on the offensive side yeah ben i i think you're you're right i mean you had texas and oklahoma to this league and it's going to get uh even tougher i mean you might be the 13th best class in the country and you're eighth in the sec uh we saw that today and, and listening to josh josh Heupel talk he even went as far as say the recruiting in this league is tougher than sometimes playing in this league just because uh he pointed out that in this day and age of conference realignment this is still the only league that's still somewhat regional now obviously it spans from south carolina and florida all the way over to texas and oklahoma now but um you know it's still that quadrant that quarter of the country and uh, chances are if you're recruiting somebody in that footprint, there's going to be several other SEC teams that are going to be uh, in, in that boat. I mean, to get not, I, I don't want to get too big picture here, but I mean, uh, there has to be some level of expectations. I mean, you just look at the, the situation that Tennessee is in from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, y- there might be a year where you cycle up and, and pass on these teams, but um, even if you have a, a program that's on the right track and is is as healthy like this one is now, it, you're not going to out recruit Georgia and Alabama. You're just not going to. It's going to be hard for you to out recruit Texas now. Uh, let's see Oklahoma. Um, you know, with with just the the proximity and the location, I think you can throw LSU in there. You can throw Florida in there. I mean, Florida had you know before today had a pretty good class. Now it's kind of falling apart a little bit because that program is looks to be from the outside in is in disarray. So, you know, but, you know, it, it shouldn't be that hard to have a, a highly rated class at, at Florida. Um, you can throw Texas A&M in there with, you know, being in Texas, you, you know, Auburn's always recruited well, and now he freezes down there doing his thing. So, I mean, you just rattle off the teams and those are all the teams that Tennessee is frankly that they finish behind um, it, when you look at it this way. So, um, it, it's going to be hard for Tennessee to consistently, this is just my opinion. You know, you look at what Tennessee has recruiting is recruiting to, and it's base. Yeah. They've got, you know, they're close to Charlotte. They're close to the Carolinas. They're close to Atlanta, um, Alabama, you know, that they, they, Tennessee has to recruit regionally, but, um, you know, they also have a, I, I think the in-state talent in Tennessee has improved as well. And Tennessee is always going to, I don't want to say prioritize that, but um, the the guys that they want in state, they need to get. Um, but it's just it, it's going to be hard for Tennessee to recruit at a top five national level. I, I've always thought that uh, wherever Auburn was, that's around where Tennessee needs to be. Um, and if you know, I think Tennessee, if you can get a top ten class, that's that's probably a pretty good year. They did that last cycle. They just missed this year, um, and certainly there are a number of guys you could point to. Uh, I don't I don't know the numbers to how far they were in, in our rankings, but you know, two or three blue chip guys and you're there. So um, but to the point, I, I think looking at how recruiting and talent translates on the field, when you have some star power on, on your team, you can go from an eight, nine wins team to 10 and 11. And and, and now moving forward, that's going to get you into the playoff. So Nico elevates um, these guys, right. the Mike Matthews and the Braylon Staley's right. If, like, if Nico is who you think he's going to be to what you exactly just said. He's going to elevate everybody else. Right. I mean, you just compared this year's team to the 2022 team. And you know, I, I, you know, you know, maybe the red zone was the biggest difference. And, um, you know, uh, 
you know, other things changed that saw Tennessee drop from 11 to eight. Well, the big difference is you, you had guys like Hinton Hooker and Darnell Wright and, and Jalen Hyatt. You didn't have those guys this year. They struggled to replace those guys at receiver. Obviously, Joe Milton, uh, I don't want to get down this road, but it's everyone can agree that he was not playing at a Heisman Trophy caliber level like Hendon was. So, um, and, and, you know, they didn't have the the same kind of star power to just step up and make big plays and big games. And that's why in some of their losses, they were on, you know, the wrong end of some runs. They didn't have that. They didn't have those dudes that could step up and and make a play and change the momentum of the game and get things going back the right direction. So um, you, you've got to recruit more of those guys. Uh, that's the bottom line. And um, you need those guys at, at different positions on your roster, whether that's defense, whether that's a guy like James Pierce who can who can take over a game. We saw him take over a couple games. Whether that's a guy like Jalen Wright who can be a you know a home run guy every time he touches the football. So um, and, and as to Ben's point, a quarterback that can play at a, a higher and maybe a more consistent level than, than Joe Milton did this year, that can elevate you from eight to now getting into the playoff conversation. So uh, I, I think we all would agree. And, and I think a lot of Tennessee fans would say too, that the the recruiting does need to step up a level. I do think that though, that, that expectations need to be tempered because it's just going to be really hard. I mean, Tennessee's never going to be able to recruit at the same level as Georgia and Alabama. Now you throw Texas in there and it's just, it's just kind of how the, the, the location, the situation, um, it's, it's just kind of going to be how it is. And, and Tennessee still can, uh, through good evaluations, we've seen the staff evaluate guys. They, they've gotten in early on guys that uh, maybe were three stars and then blew up and went up in the rankings. We've seen that happen several times in these last two cycles. They need to do that, and they need to win maybe another two or three more of these battles because those star players are the guys that are going to get you over the hump in some of those tight games in this conference. Before I further soak Patrick's wet blanket there, let me throw in some positive here to explain to people what did go right in this class. You've got a, a top 247 quarterback in Jake Merklinger that I think is a really good follow-up, as good as you could do under the circumstances to come in behind Nico Iamaliava. It is hard, if not impossible, to get five-star or even top 100 quarterbacks these days in back-to-back classes because no one wants to come in behind a presumed starter of the future and sit for two or even three years waiting for a chance to play you just don't i mean that was, Arch Man- that was the best line from that was the best line from Heupel's press conference absolutely is yes because i don't know who it was asked him how hard it is you know mike i think is it hard to get is it hard to get um portal quarterbacks when when nico's there and he just smiled and said yes it is i mean yes yes the sir, most honest is. he's <laughs> probably the most honest he's been in a press conference in who knows how long Yep. So it, it, that, that was, that's as good as you could hope for because very seldom are you even going to be able to get an Arch Manning to come in behind a guy like Quinn Ewers for a year. That's hard enough to get him to sit behind someone like Nico for two years at minimum. That, that's tough. And that's basically what you're selling there. And Jake Merklinger was that rare type of guy that has the confidence and uh, the, the, the comfort level with the situation to, to be willing to do that. So that was a, that was a great pickup. I think that's a really nice situation, even though Tennessee's short on, scholarship quarterback depth right now it's it's still the best you could do under the circumstances they got a four-star running back who's a top 247 prospect they've struggled to do that at times in recent years you know dylan sampson people are excited about him now they weren't thrilled about him two years ago when they signed him he was a three-star out of louisiana who barely became a four-star uh at, at the, under the wire at the end uh leading up to signing day and and that still didn't make people think he was all world necessarily they just thought yeah he's okay 
Um, and so now they got they're freaking top, out about whether he's going to be here next year. Exactly. So, but they got a top two forty-seven prospect in Peyton Lewis, who had a like three hundred sixty-seven yard game in the state semifinals uh, late in his season, averaging more than ten yards a carry uh, to help his team advance to a state title game. So, uh, a, a guy there that's known for speed, and uh, that's that's the kind of guy Tennessee's had a tough time getting, especially early in the cycle. And they got him in May. Um, to your point, Ben, earlier about some of these big wins being so long ago, people have almost forgotten them. Uh, the, the two wide receivers, again, both top 100 players. They had Nathan Leacock in, in last year's class who hasn't done anything yet, but that's two years in a row. You've, you've now signed three receivers that are all top 100 players. That, that's quality. Got those, those, those should be future starters. When you're signing a top 100 player, that should be at the minimum a future starter, if not a future all-SEC caliber player. Um, so you've got to get them developed and help them live up to the hype, but the, the potential, the talent is clearly there. And then in this class, again, three, four-star offensive linemen, uh, a, a couple, I think really good tackles and, and, and at least two in, in, uh, Gage Ginther and, and Bennett Warren. Uh, I really like the guards, Max Anderson and, and, and William Satterwhite that, you know, you could have three, if not four potential future starters there on the offensive line. And we've not looked at Tennessee's O-line classes the last two years and felt that way. This year we do. A couple more four-star linebackers, Edwin Spillman and Jordan Burns. That's just becoming like commonplace for them to sign a couple four-star linebackers in, in each class now. Like that wasn't the case a couple of years ago. So they've clearly elevated the the recruiting across the board. And let's not forget, because they've been committed so long and they were both in state, Caleb Beasley and Marcus Gorey are about as good of a corner class as Tennessee signed in, in years, with the exception of last year when they got Jordan Matthews, Ricky Gibson, and Christian Conyer. Uh, I would put this class right up there with those guys. I really like Beasley and Gorey. So they, they're now stacking legitimately good depth at corner like they haven't in a long, long time. I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back to the probably the early 2000s to find comparable cornerback talent uh, in, in consecutive classes. So, and, and even look at last year's class. I just look back at the 24-7 sports ratings for this, this, uh, this last class with Nico. Nico was the lone five-star in that class, and they signed 10 four-stars in that class, according to, to 24 seven sports rankings this year, two, five stars, nine, four stars. So they've really elevated the quality across the board. When you look at that, you, 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 uh, you doubled the five stars and you got the same number of four and five stars combined. And just the, the overall talent level is still pretty good. So even in a smaller class um, where they didn't fill every single need, the quality is there. And again, I don't worry that much because Ben, Ben outlined it perfectly there you go get a portal guy in the right spot. If you're, if you're knocking a position group, just because you didn't have enough players, you can fix that with one portal addition. It's not a big deal suddenly. So who cares? Um, it's all about the quality at the top. You need to get big time players when you have a chance to get them. And, and I'll go a little further than that and say, if just a couple guys had gone differently in this class and there were so many possibilities out there, I mean, they've even touched on like Amari Jefferson. That's an in-state guy that got away. Like just a couple of these battles go differently. And this is a borderline top five class. That's that's the other thing I would point out is there's so much parity across the board in recruiting right now because of NIL. I mean, Michigan's playing for a national championship and they've got a borderline top 15 class, like 15th or 16th last time I looked. That, that's that's what we're talking about here. 20 teams, if not 25. I mean, Missouri's got a top 25 class that they stole a guy or two away from Tennessee. Like that's that doesn't happen. And NIL is making it where, where programs like that can win some battles against really good programs. It's just hard. No one's completely happy with their class because everyone has guys stolen from them at the last minute. It's frustrating for Tennessee, but ask Florida fans how they feel tonight. I mean, they're miserable about their class being in shambles, and it happened to them at the last minute, basically. So 
there are just so many things that can go wrong in recruiting. And sometimes you didn't even do anything to deserve it. You did nothing wrong. You did everything right. And the, somebody just comes in and outbids you at the last minute or comes close enough for a player to, to go to a school he'd rather go to or whatever. There's just so many things that can go wrong. And Tennessee, unfortunately, had some of those go wrong in five or ten key battles that really made this, made this, uh, this class sting at times for Tennessee. But the, the shortcomings, I, I just, they're definitely there. I mean, I, I, again, I'm, I'm surprised Tennessee signed only two wide receivers in this class. They, they needed a second tight end. Maybe they can still address that in the portal. I do like Cole Harrison as a, as a nice late addition with some upside there. Um, defensive line, you know, they've, they've got to start recruiting better there at some point. They've then not really gotten big time guys under Rodney Garner with the exception of David Hobbs, Tyree West. There's been a couple, but not been consistent enough. You know, again, they're doing better across the board defensively. Edge rushers, they're they're stacking talent there. Jordan Ross, I mean, they keep getting one, at least one in every class. I like Kellen Lindstrom, as Patrick said. I mean, they're they're getting talent on defense. Just need to kind of get a little bit better with the interior defensive linemen and the the strong side end type guys. They're not getting enough talent there. But by and large, though, this this really isn't bad at all. I mean, I, I know fans are tempted to to look at the negative, and it's there if you want to want to look at that. But the big picture here is. Tennessee's recruiting at a way higher level than they were two years ago. And at this class, I mean, the, the points are so close. They were less than 12 points out of seventh place. They're basically two recruiting wins away from jumping past everybody between seventh and 13th and, and finishing ahead of Auburn and a bunch of other good programs and having a solidified top seven class. And then we'd be talking about this class completely differently. And we're talking about the differences two recruiting wins potentially even one if one of them if that one had been jordan seaton that might have been enough to get tennessee to seventh or eighth so it's that close i mean the 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 margin between these teams is thinner than ever because 20 teams 25 teams have a shot at getting good players all the time now and that's different from what we're used to five or ten years ago so you've got to look at everything i think through a different lens it's just it's a so much more competitive landscape in recruiting so many more teams have access to good players and and no one's stacking talent. So the classes and the talent in the long run now is going to be more even across the board. It's going to be more NFL-like, I think, in a few years than we've ever seen in college football. So the key to, to the point earlier, it goes back to Nico. you got to keep getting talent at the quarterback position because quarterbacks are going to be the difference. The teams with the great quarterbacks are going to win, just like the NFL. Tennessee's got a great quarterback. That's a great place to be, and they keep upgrading the talent. So this class isn't as good as it could have been, but it's still really good, and it keeps everything for the future looking bright with a great quarterback at the helm. Yeah, it, it's a really good recruiting class. Um, I'm not quite sure why the freak out is what it is. And, and look, I said th- this, they need to take it up a notch moving forward. There, there's no doubt about that. They, they, If they want to consistently compete for championships year in and year out, they, they're going to have to take it up a notch. I think there's some assistance. Uh, I think they're going to feel some pressure in terms of needing to see results on the recruiting trail this upcoming cycle. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of quality and a lot of good, potentially great in this class. And uh, I don't quite understand the, the freak out from 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 some people uh, out there. But uh, there, there's a ton going on right now. Those are our general thoughts on uh, Tennessee's 2024 recruiting class and, and still time to add, as we've mentioned on several occasions. Uh, Patrick mentioned that Josh Heupel did speak to the media and, and had a, a great one-liner on the quarterback position. He had some other comments on some other topics as well, and we will discuss those comments on the other side of this quick timeout. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back into the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan on this edition of the podcast as we recap the first day of the early signing period for Tennessee and give our thoughts on Tennessee's 2024 recruiting class up until this point because there is still plenty of time to add players before the roster has to be set and before fall camp rolls around and Tennessee is still after several talented players, mostly in the transfer portal right now. But I'm I'm sure that uh, guys will pop up. We already had uh, Ryan had a story up on the site earlier on Wednesday about a five star defensive lineman who is committed to Texas A&M. He's going to take a visit to Tennessee here coming up, and we can let Ryan talk more about that here in just a moment but before we continue our conversation would like to encourage you to go like rate and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast we would greatly appreciate it and as Wes and I always do like to add if you don't mind sharing it with a friend co-worker somebody who's a Tennessee fan who hasn't quite found us yet that's another way that you can help us and we would greatly appreciate that as well Ryan since I teased it I wasn't going to go down this road but we'll start with that uh Tennessee Going to be hosting a five-star defensive lineman. That 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 if if they can pull that one off, that now that is something that would absolutely get people excited. No question. And and I'm not going to downplay completely Tennessee's chances here because you know they they were obviously in a big time battle for Jordan Seaton. And again, assuming he still doesn't flip to Tennessee, um, you know there, there's still there's still some reason to think Tennessee could could pull off a big upset like that. Even though it would be a, a clear upset as of right now, Tennessee just kind of recently got back in it. Uh, Dominic McKinley is his name, five-star defensive lineman from Louisiana, uh, from Lafayette, Louisiana. Been committed to Texas A&M since September 1st. Obviously, the coaching change there shook things up a little bit down the stretch, and uh, and that's that's why he's delaying. It sounds like his plan is definitely now to to not sign this week. He obviously didn't sign on, Monday, on Wednesday and uh, doesn't plan to this week, according to his mother. So he will... Uh, he, he will wait until February, and that's what Tennessee's been banking on the last couple of weeks. They've recently kind of reached back out after offering way back in January and not really being a contender the first time around, and they sort of laid the groundwork, got an in-home visit with him last week with Rodney Garner and Tim Banks uh, headed down the, uh, to Louisiana to, to meet with him and his family, and it went pretty well, um, but Tennessee had, had some ground to make up, no question. It, obviously, Texas A&M, LSU, Texas, uh, Oklahoma's still in there. Those teams were all contenders the first time around. And all of them, but LSU hosted him on official visits. So his plan right now is to visit LSU the first weekend after the dead period in uh, mid-January, the, the weekend of January 12th. And then Tennessee will get a chance to host him as of right now, the weekend of June 19th. Uh, no one else scheduled for the following two weeks leading up to National Signing Day. But I will caution people that when you have these types of players left out there after the early signing period, what happens? Other teams circle back. Other teams that have needs or leftover NIL money or whatever the case may be. And they, they just kick the tires and see if they can get in it too. So wouldn't shock me if another team, uh, you know, maybe a, 
I'm just I'm just spitballing here, just a possibility. But a team like a Florida that had lost some guys at the end, maybe they circle in there and see if they can become a factor. You never know who might jump into a race like that, or if they even would make a difference if they tried. But uh, regardless, can't assume it's just going to be those four or five teams. But right now, Tennessee at least has a foot in the door. We'll get a visit. We'll see what comes of it. Um, they've got to probably overtake those three or four other teams that I mentioned. But uh, but they're at least in the in the picture now. And the way recruiting goes, the way it can change on a dime. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Tennessee couldn't win that one. So it's at least a really interesting possibility down the stretch. They're, they're not the team to beat, but they're they're in the race and they're going to get a visit. So that's uh, that's definitely not uh, not something to, to, to shake a stick at. That's uh, it's an interesting possibility that could obviously change the perception of this class quite a bit if they could somehow pull it off and get a third five star. And I did tease the Tulane receiver earlier in the podcast. Where do you think Tennessee's at right right now with him? Yeah, Chris Brazel. He. He's a, he's a he's a really talented guy. He he had a tweet last week where he sent out a graphic showing that 38 different schools have been in contact with him. A, a lot of the SEC schools among them. I mean, this is the guy with a lot of interest, and in, and he the visits he took, you know, didn't certainly reflect all of the interest he had. Um, he, he's already been a few places, you know, Colorado, Washington, Utah, um, so and, and Tennessee among them. So he he's uh and Houston was his first stop where his former coaching staff at Tulane is you know certainly don't sleep on them but we've not heard as much about Houston lately it's been more Tennessee Colorado Washington lately um you know some people I've talked to that were wondering if there's a mystery team involved you know you certainly can't rule that out with the dozens of teams in the picture but just you know what we've heard throughout the week sounds pretty positive for Tennessee you know you can't say that it's done or anywhere close to that but there's been you know optimism at times this week that not only is Tennessee in good shape, but that Brazel's maybe getting close to announcing a decision. And if, and that if he did at the time, it might've been Tennessee. So um, he hasn't done it yet. Um, It still wouldn't shock me if he announced this week, but it's also the kind of recruitment, you know, a little bit unpredictable to this point. You know, he maybe, maybe waits and, and, and takes more visits in early January or or waits until at least next week to make a decision. You know, anything could happen. Jared verse a couple of years ago, that one kind of played out. This way, he took visits in mid-December, and, and he ended up waiting around about two more weeks before he announced a decision between Tennessee and Florida State at that time. So some of these battles can play out for a while, you know, even though it's just phone conversations happening behind the scenes and things like that. Uh, it, it can be a tight race, and players go back and forth, and it it can be really competitive, obviously, in the portal for for a guy like this that has a lot of options. So we'll see, but the the general vibe lately this week has been that Tennessee's got at least as good of a shot as anybody might even be the team to beat. And, uh, you know, at the same time, it's one of those recruitments that it wouldn't shock you if someone came out of nowhere and pulled off the upset and and left Tennessee standing at the altar. So it's, it's one of those touch and go deals that neither way would shock you, but Tennessee's got a a great shot as of right now. and, And we'll see if he, if he does make a decision anytime soon. Patrick, when I, when I look at the current roster and the current class, the guys who are committed and now at this point have signed, I look at two positions that needed to be made over to have a makeover this offseason, and that was obviously the secondary, and then I think the offensive line as well. And and two different types of makeovers, right? Like you, you needed a, a complete makeover in the secondary for the most part outside of those freshman corners. That well, you're getting you it. I this mean, season. yeah. Yeah, you're, you're getting it, and that was a, a topic of conversation uh, for Josh Heupel during his press conference on, on Wednesday. And then the offensive line didn't necessarily need to to have a makeover with, with your starting lineup, and you're going to get a lot of that back. But I think you needed 
you, you needed to make improvements from a depth standpoint. Your your, your second offensive line, your, your backups, it just has not been in a good spot under Josh Heupel, and not necessarily all his fault, all Dylan Ellerby's fault. Part of that is what they had to deal with from the Jeremy Pruitt era. Uh, but that that is a position that I think is being made over uh, th- this offseason. I really, really like Tennessee's offensive line class. Uh, I believe it was Ryan went through it earlier and uh, mentioned the, the several four-stars. To me, what's even more telling is the schools that Tennessee beat out for several of those players, Clemson, Oklahoma, Texas, Gage Michigan Ginther isn't with, yeah Michigan with Michigan. Bennett Warren, absolutely, and and Gage Ginther isn't one of those four stars uh, that that Ryan was alluding to earlier, but Tennessee beat out in state Colorado to make sure that they secured his services and and he remained committed to Tennessee, and uh, I, I think it, it's really hard, and, and you can go either way here um, because it was a topic of conversation, offensive line class the secondary class and attrition that's happened so far for Heupel on Wednesday during his press conference uh, but I, I I really do think with the offensive line that's what I asked Heupel about because it, it's very intriguing to me and to me that's yes the secondary is obviously important but this is a line of scrimmage league and in Josh Heupel's opening statements he went out of his way to mention that the line of scrimmage was a point of emphasis and they're not going to have a guy that that needs to step in and, and play as a true freshman right away. I guess technically left guard is still up for grabs, but I think that second team offensive line and the depth of the offensive line, yes, they're freshmen. It's going to take them some time to develop because of the nature of the position. But I, I think that position room has taken a big step forward with the class of linemen that they're bringing in this off season. Yeah, I, th- those are good good points, Ben. And, and to what Ryan was talking about earlier about stacking classes. Um, you know, you look at that 2022 class that, that they brought in on the offensive line. I mean, two of those guys are stopping the portal and, and Addison Nichols, who's going to Arkansas, and then Mo Clipper Jr. is going to go to Charlotte. Uh, I think the only guys left over from that class now are, are Brian Grant and, and Masai Reddick, who uh, haven't been needed to really, uh, have, you know, uh, Nichols got thrown into meaningful snaps against Vanderbilt, but none of those other two guys really have. Um, but they also maybe really haven't necessarily pushed uh, for that as well. Um, and, and something else that Hypo mentioned too, almost right off the bat, his first question was he touched on roster retention, which is something that people, uh, you know, fans, I think are still getting used to, you know, they always ask all these NIL questions. I mean, some of these veterans that are coming back, I mean, yeah, they may not have had the highest NFL draft grades, but you know, the Amar Thomases and Cooper Mazes of the world, they're not coming back for free. Um, you know, there's, there's guys on this roster, um, you know, we touched on Dylan Sampson earlier that you know, there's other teams that are, you know, kicking the tires and, and he's not the only guy that, that, that applies to. And, uh, you know, if you want to keep those guys, the guys that you want to keep, it's, you, you know, you're going to have to devote funds to that. That's just kind of how it works these days. And then, uh, the other thing he touched on was, like I said, bringing those guys back and you look at the offensive line, depending on what Javante Spragans does. I mean, they could bring back four starters from their offensive line. Um, that's going to afford those young guys time to develop and time to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, have a year to, to red shirt maybe, and, and maybe they get in late in some games or, you know, things like that. But, uh, that, that's sort of the, you know, the offensive line is an interesting position. I remember, I think it was Sam Pittman like a decade ago told me it was always the hardest position to, to project. And he, he obviously is an offensive line coach knows what he's talking about, but 
you know, we, we hear all the time about that position being such a mental position, the day and age of the portal. Now, if you're not like making a move by your second year, like some of these guys are like, you're, you're going to be looking to maybe go somewhere else because your, your program's going to bring in a transfer. That's going to get in your way probably. Right. They're going to bring in a guy that's um, maybe got a little bit more experience and is maybe a year or two older than you. And that guy's going to be in your way to a starting position. Um, because you can't, you know, that's not a position where if you want to compete for championships like Tennessee does, you can't cut corners there and have a bad offensive line. I mean, we saw, you know, we see teams that, that Tennessee played this year that had maybe some other pieces, but their offensive line wasn't any good. And that was, a, you know, that was a big issue. Flipping to the secondary, I mean, I, I think that's a fascinating position group. And um, <laughs> people have been wanting to see fresh blood, you know, new guys step in there. You know, you know, Jalen McCullough has been playing for, four years and, you know, Tamari McDonald's a two-year starter and, you know, they've got all these upperclassmen and now it's pretty much cleaned house now. I mean, um, it, it's going to be an entirely different look with those guys. I like what they've brought in with the two transfers. Uh, Jermon McCoy is basically, you know, you can almost throw him into that class with Matthews, Conyer, and, and Gibson, those guys, because he, he, that's the same eligibility for him. Uh, you know, Jacoby Thomas at safety's got a couple years of eligibility left as well, but he's played a lot. So, um, <clears throat> that's a position that, you know, this roster was so unique going into the season where they had 30 plus seniors, 30 plus freshmen coming out of it. You know, you were going to keep some of those seniors, but there were other positions where you were going to have to turn it over to the guys that you recruited in. And we've heard Josh Heupel say that that's how they're going to build this program. They're going to build it through high school recruiting, which you're recruiting high school guys for over a year in some cases versus portal guys you're recruiting for two and a half weeks. Um, you know, you're going to trust those guys to come in, you know, those guys better. Um, you, you de- you've evaluated them longer and then now you, you trust that you can develop them, um, and that you need to develop them. And in some cases you've got to trust them and play them. Um, I know that that's been a topic of discussion over the past few weeks is, is how much should Tennessee, how much more should Tennessee have played some of the young guys on its roster? Well, now they've created a situation in the secondary where they don't have a choice. I mean, Ricky Gibson is going to start in the bowl game. And then, you know, if, if he or Gabe Judy Lally gets out, you know, they're going to probably have to throw Christian Conyer or, or Jordan Matthews in there. I mean, that's just where they're at. They're not going to have any choice. So, um, and, and, you know, they're going to open that up in the spring and, and they're going to see what they've got in those guys. So um, those are two good position groups that you touched on, Ben, where certainly they were huge needs in this class. And um, I, I think with what they brought in, particularly in the offensive lines we touched on and the secondary as well, with a couple of those corners with Boo Carter, um, I think they've stacked, they've taken, you know, particularly in the secondary, they've taken a pretty good class last year, added another one to it. The offensive line, we'll see what some of those second year guys, what they do, the Vice and Langs, uh, the, the Sham, Umarovs of the world, what, did, you know, does Larry Johnson become anything in his second year? Um, you know, we'll just have to see, but um, certainly this offensive line class is, is a big step in the right direction. And I think the secondary class does a good job of, of coming in and backing up what they brought in last year. I, I agree that that offensive line class to me is kind of the 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 star of this class. Basically, you know, to have five guys that that talented, where you got uh, you know probably no day one you know impact players. You know, I, I don't see anybody even rotationally probably being a factor this year unless unless someone really comes in uh, ahead of the curve. But but in a year, you could see someone maybe cracking the lineup from this from this group, and, and in a couple of years. You know, you might have three or four starters out of this group if these guys live up to expectations. You know, Bennett Warren is a top 100 player, but he's going to need some time to develop. He's a little raw coming out of high school, but 
man, you can't teach six foot seven and a half and 330 pounds. I mean, that's, <laughs> and he moves well, you know, played in a, a an offense that, uh, you know, he, he's, he's certainly been in more of a run heavy offense. So it's going to probably take him a little bit of time from a, uh, a pass protection standpoint, but he's, he's worked on that a lot in camps and stuff. He's, he, he's, he's definitely got the skill set you want, the athleticism you want, uh, to, to be really good in the future as reflected by his, his ranking, you know, Max Anderson, physical guy at guard, William Satterwhite, not the tallest guy, but fits in perfectly as a center guard can be a, can be a really good player down the road. You know, I, if he may be the most college ready coming in, we'll, we'll see how early in his career he can, he can make an impact. But if there was anyone that maybe came in, by year two and makes a real impact. I, I could see it being him. Uh, and then, and then you've got some interesting developmental guys, uh, you know, Jesse Perry. I, I'm one of the most fascinating players in this class to me is Jeremiah's heard uh, what happens with him. You know, he may, he might stay on the defensive line, but if he ends up moving to offensive tackle in the future, I mean, he's, he's a just, massive just put him a tackle already. Dude. Well, and, and I mean, Ryan, I, I do want to cut you off for a split second and, and yeah. go back to the conversation kind of, those who are being what feels like a little too overly negative. Like Jeremiah's heard doesn't necessarily appease the stargazers. His, yeah. his recruiting ranking isn't great, but Tennessee had to hold off Notre Dame, the Notre Dame fighting Irish mm-hmm. to make sure that he remained committed to Tennessee. So like, even though there's these three-star guys that Tennessee is bringing in, I mentioned Gage Ginther in Colorado earlier, and, and this isn't traditional Colorado. This is a different Colorado with Dion and everything he's doing. Like the, th- those are the, the recruiting wins that, that it seems like people are conveniently forgetting. Right. Well, and, and on top of Ginther, you know, Colorado gets the attention because Dion's kind of the hot name now, but when Tennessee landed Gage Ginther back in the spring, they beat out Nebraska. That was who finished second. And Matt Rule and that staff is doing a pretty good job up there too. And, I think certainly Matt Rule knows talent pretty well. So, uh, you know, you'd be out some quality programs for him. And, and yeah, I think Tennessee feels it's getting a steal in Gage Ginther. Uh, they think he can play right tackle. Um, you know, a lot of people have him pegged as a guard, but I think Tennessee thinks he can play right tackle. And he's six four and a half or so, so he's got the the height and the length to probably play there too. So um, if he can be a starting right tackle in the future, man, I mean, this, this offensive line class could be um, pretty good top to bottom. And then Jesse Perry is kind of an overlooked guy in this class, but he – uh, he, he's got a nice long frame and, and, and Tennessee has even, uh, they even for, for a couple reps, tried him at center during, uh, one of their camps this summer. So I think they think he's a guy that could, could play center or tackle, but certainly tackle is probably where you try him, the, uh, try him first to, to see how he fits in there. Very athletic. Yeah. Lean and athletic. And, and you take a guy like that and you bulk him up and he played in a, a run heavy offense where he you know hardly ever threw the ball. So he's going to have to work on pass protection for sure, but he's, uh, he, he's a guy that, that, you know, you like that he's got some physicality and some, uh, and, and kind of a hard nosed mentality for, for being as lean as he is. And he's not afraid of, uh, of getting in there and, uh, and, and mixing it up with big guys, but he's also got the athleticism to hang on the edge and, and be able to, to hold up in pass protection. So a lot to like about that class. And yeah, if Heard were to be the, the wild card and move over to tackle at some point, which definitely not a sure thing, but uh, just a possibility, uh, down the road that's kind of been mentioned since back when he committed. But if he were to end up at tackle, you know, he, he could be he, he might have as, as intriguing of a ceiling as anybody in that group uh, on that side of the ball and, and could be pretty solid on defense, too. I mean, he's six, seven, three oh five and and a basketball player that moved really well on the court. So a lot to like about him, too. So I, I, I just I like that group a lot. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's as good of a, a group as they've brought in and, you know, five or six years, probably at least. Uh, so, so I think they've got a, a really nice group there that has the potential to be really. Uh, a big part of of reshaping the future of that unit 
And then the secondary, you know, again, I, I like that group a lot. Boo Carter's been mentioned. Edris Farouk is, is kind of the, again, the overlooked guy. He's not the biggest safety back there, but I've already heard some positive things about him on the practice field in his first few days at Tennessee. I think they are, are more excited about him than people might realize. And then I, I, I've always liked the corners, Caleb Beasley and Marcus Gorey. So that's a, even without Jaron Sensabaugh, which was one of those misses down the stretch with Missouri kind of coming in at the last minute and pulling him away, even without him, that's a, it's a pretty good secondary class as well. So I think those two positions are, are, are really, a, you know, probably the strengths of this class uh, on the surface, along with just kind of the five stars in Jordan Ross and Mike Matthews. And uh, it's hard not to like the the future of those positions, especially the offensive line and the, and the, and the secondary where Tennessee has now put, back-to-back really good classes together at the cornerback position. Absolutely. And and the last position that I think deserves a, a, a more in-depth conversation uh, is, is the tight end position. And, and Ryan, you and I have talked about it on some of these recruiting podcasts that, that you and I have been putting out as commitments have, have come in and have come in and uh, Cole Harrison did commit on, I guess it was Tuesday night, mm-hmm. uh, late Tuesday night. Uh, although he is a Cali kid, so maybe not as late for him as it was for us. Uh, but a, a high school body that Tennessee needed to add. And uh, I, I do think that that is a position when I say it's a big year for an assistant coming up. I, I do think maybe Alec Ablin needs to to show a little more going forward. And he did look, he did do a good job with, with Cole Harrison, and uh, he, he also did a, a good job with Holden Stays, the Notre Dame transfer. Uh, he he has done well here and there, uh, but one of the, the biggest misses, I I feel like, in this class was Roger Saliaponga. Uh, and I, I think, man, as you mentioned, that if you land him, that, that could be a, a huge difference maker uh, for this class. And, and, and there were some some tight ends early on in the process as well that Tennessee maybe struggled to get to campus or, or struggled to uh, create consistent dialogue with. It, it just, it, it seems like it turned out okay, which is important at the end of the day, not trying to discredit that, but it seems like the path to get there to Holden stays to Cole Harrison. It, it, it was a little bumpy at times, but uh, Tennessee does eventually add Cole Harrison. And, and you and I talked about it on, on his commitment podcast that we recorded Yes, he was he was further down the board, but Tennessee needed a high school body, and it was somebody that they were very closely paying attention to all throughout his senior season, and, and they do like his potential moving forward. Yeah, this this isn't a, a shot in the dark on their part. This is you know really the the late offer you could point to would be Willie Rodriguez, the one people were upset that Tennessee didn't flip from Kentucky in two weeks, which would have been quite a coup. Uh, considering they offered him on December 6th and, and weren't really a factor for him at all uh, before that. So that was more the late shot in the dark. Uh, Cole Harrison was the guy they kind of kept warm down the stretch this fall, knowing there might be a scenario where they needed him. And it turned out they did. Um, I, I'll actually defend Alec Ablin a bit on here. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's certainly come up because Tennessee, you know, they earlier this year, they missed on Jaden Riddell. Uh, you know, there, there were obviously a lot of questions throughout the year on Jonathan Eccles. He ends up not sticking with Tennessee, flipping Max to USF. Long. Yeah, Max LeBlanc, and that was one that you know he committed early this year, even before Jaden Riddell. So at that point, he wasn't the number one guy on the board, but he was close enough they would have taken him at the time. Um, but he's not a Tennessee native, you know. He's from Canada, lived in Tennessee less than a year at that time. Um, they they stayed in it till 
this fall or got back in it this fall with him, tried to get him on a visit. He almost took a visit for the Georgia game. Didn't happen. And then he sticks with Ohio state. So there, there were some weird situations. And I would, I would also just point out it was sort of a weird situation from the start for Alec Ablin because he inherited a class that already had a tight end in Jonathan Eccles. So the whole time he's going after a second tight end in the class, which can be, as we've discussed with the portal, a hard sell to begin with, especially because Eccles was highly ranked for a while. His stock kind of fell a bit over the last six months. He's still a, a four-star prospect, but he's no longer top 247 after being a five-star in the 24-7 sports composite back when he committed to Tennessee in July of 2022. So he came into sort of a tough situation, I think. And, and Tennessee doesn't rotate a lot at tight end. You know, they, they split snaps this year with those guys. But again, it's a, it's an up-tempo offense. They don't, they don't like to substitute during drives. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough offense to sell two tight ends. So that, that probably complicated things a little bit from the start for him. And then just coming in, we knew he was going to face an adjustment to recruiting on the road and everything else that comes with being a full-time on-field assistant. So I, I don't think he's on any kind of hot seat right now. And I actually would, would credit him, like you said, for doing a really good job with holding stays. I thought he kind of knocked it out of the park in that recruitment to get the, currently the number one tight end in the transfer portal. So I, I think that, 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 that buys him some, some, some time certainly to continue to, to get up to speed as a recruiter. And I think he's, he's doing just fine so far, uh, just kind of on a, on a bit of a learning curve as, as anyone would be in that job for the first time. So I, I think he'll be okay. Um, but as you said, there are multiple positions where Tennessee's not done a good enough job. And I would say tight end, we could throw in there maybe a little bit with some of the other positions. I think the one thing, and I mentioned this on uh, our, our, one of our last podcasts with Wes the other night, and, and someone followed up with a question about it on the message board, wondering if, if we thought Tennessee would adjust its approach. I think the overall, one of the things that I think they've got to tweak a little bit and certainly look back at is, are they giving themselves enough realistic options at each position to fill their needs? Because I think each of the last two years, we've seen that problem pop up at different positions. Uh, last year with the 2023 class, it was wide receiver. They focused too much on a few guys like Kyler Casper, Carnell Tate. And when those guys fell off the board, there wasn't much left. And they end up with a class of just Nathan Leacock and, and Nate Spillman. And Spillman was obviously a guy that nobody ever thought would make an early impact. And then this year, you know, kind of a similar situation. They end up with two receivers. Um, they had some other guys on the board, but they weren't, you know, all in on them for the most part. So you go into the summer and you, you don't host enough official visitors at some positions that end up happening at defensive line because they kind of got the rug pulled out from under them with some guys like uh, like Cameron Fountain uh, and, and Amaris Williams that went to Florida before flipping to Auburn late. You know, some some guys that just things got away from them that weren't necessarily their fault. But the big overarching picture is I think you've got to give yourself more realistic options going into the summer line up more official visits to make sure you're addressing all your needs in the summer. Because as we saw, once you get past the summer, there's no guarantee you're going to get anything to address your remaining needs. Tennessee kind of struck out down the stretch at wide receiver uh, with Cam Michael, didn't add Jordan Seaton at tackle. So they were kind of left at some positions with what they had coming out of the summer. So um, long story short, I just think they've got to give themselves a bigger net a, a little bit at some positions and make sure they are that they they offer as many players in the country every year, just the way Tennessee has always recruited. You've got to give yourself, you know, keep guys warm, build a lot of relationships, make sure you're recruiting the right guys and not wasting time on guys that you're not going to get in the end, and just give yourself enough realistic options going into the summer that you have enough official visitors to get what you need at each position. I think they've kind of messed up a couple positions here and there each of the last two classes that have that have really cost them and, and not filling needs. Well, Patrick, simply put, that tight end position, although it may have been a little bumpy at times, the the, the road to get there, it, it does, I think, 
look pretty good going into to next season with Holden Stays and Ethan Davis as your your top two guys. Uh, Cole Harrison probably would typically be a, a good redshirt candidate, but if, if injuries do strike that position, then then he's somebody that it, it's better to to throw him in there in a pinch rather than. Um, I'm I'm blanking Emmanuel on Emmanuel Koye. Yes, thank you, Emmanuel Koye, who is still trying to learn the position. But you do also, on the positive, looking at it from glass half full. If we're going to also mention the the glass half empty, uh, he he still is a, a heck of an athlete, and and if he can grasp that that tight end position, you have you have four really 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 quality tight end prospects at that position. And who knows, maybe by the time the season opener rolls around, they they have a fifth in there as well. Yeah, Ben, I I like the uh, addition of Holden Stays. He's he's probably the transfer that I've had the chance to watch the most. Uh, I, I think he's a, a good fit for what they want to do uh, on offense, and um, he, he has the ability to stretch the field um, as a pass catcher, work the middle of the field. He can do some things after the catch, which you know we've seen Tennessee do that, where you know you're getting the ball in the flat, uh, four touchdowns this season. So you know that that's uh, a guy you can throw the football to in the red zone. He, I think he can continue to improve as a blocker, but he has the frame to do it. But um, yeah, I, I think tight ends another good position that sort of encapsulates where Tennessee is right now. And um, you know, I think Tennessee uh, part of the angst maybe is that they see Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss taking transfer after transfer. They take a couple guys from Tennessee seem to be sitting pretty for Walter Nolan and you kind of get the, the envy and say, well, why don't we do that? And, and, you know, if you bring in a bunch of portal guys, you're going to be probably running off the guys that you brought in to, you know, in your recruiting classes. So, and I think tight ends a great example of that because, um, you know, when, when, when the portal opened up, Ablin cast a pretty wide net for guys. I mean, there were what Ryan, four or five guys at, at various points on the board with mm-hmm. Jolie and the kid from South Dakota state and, and Dingle from Kentucky and, and, you know, the, they, they the, were uh, but our sharp from southeastern Louisiana. Right. Or, 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 yeah, southeastern Louisiana, not South Dakota State. My bad. Sorry, Bauer. Um, you know, and, and you know, it, it, the question that I saw a lot was can they bring in two of these guys? I'm like, if you do, Ethan Davis might be looking around. You wonder what his his reaction is gonna be. And then, you know, these guys are all coming in to, to be the guy. So um, you know, that's that's the dilemma you have. And I think that's another example of where Tennessee for better or worse, is going to have to turn the thing over to guys they brought in. That's just how the roster has been set up. They kind of inherited a weird situation where, you know, the 2020 recruit, 2021 recruiting class, I think Christian Charles is going to be the only guy left from that class, um, and he's coming off an Achilles injury. So uh, with, with Jalen Wright going pro and, and a couple, you know, Ru- uh, Deshaun Rucker going to the portal, that that's pretty much it. That's sort of a weird situation to where, um, you know, as we've talked about a lot, this roster might, the talent level might be higher, but you're just not going to have a bunch of old guys like you've had. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of places on this roster, you're going to be counting on second year guys to come in and, and step up and, and be the guy. And, and tight ends, I think, a good position, uh, a good example of that, because it, whether or not Ethan Davis is truly ready, he's probably going to have to play a meaningful role next season. I don't know that they will necessarily platoon like they have the past however many years with. Princeton Fanton, Jacob Warren, and then this this past season with Jacob Warren and, and McCallan Castles, it might be more uh, of, you know, stays, plays as much as he can, and, and Davis spells him. But that's a position where, you know, they're, they're you know, you you tout that you're going to 
build through high school recruiting. Well, now you get to the point where you're going to have to play those guys. Um, um, whether they're ready or not, you're gonna have to count on your development, your ability to develop as a staff, uh, and, and the player and, and the player's ability to stay patient, develop that kind of thing. And, and that's a position where, again, they're going to have to to take a young guy that, that we haven't seen a whole lot. Doesn't have a lot of experience. Is a nice prospect. I think a lot of people think highly of Ethan Davis and what he can be. And you're going to have to probably play him some meaningful in a meaningful role next season. So I think that's what makes this roster fascinating going into next season. And um, certainly Tennessee, I think, is is looking to uh, add in some other places. But tight end, I think, you know, that was the priority in the portal. And I think they got obviously the, they got the number one guy in our ranking. So uh, they did a pretty good job there. Ryan, I, I, your I, your quick thoughts on the way out the door on the position that that Tennessee probably needs to address next or, or try to address next as as they work towards spring practice. Yeah, I was going to add real quick on the tight end position. I was going to say I, I I like that group and like what they like what they got done under the circumstances. It's definitely still a work in progress, and and Emmanuel Koye and Ethan Davis's development really really critical. But I do like like Patrick said. I think Holden stays a great fit, really good blocker, big kid but still athletic in the passing game. He's that perfect guy. In some ways, Jacob Warren had to develop into that really over time. I mean, it took him three or four years to really become the player that Holden Stays is now and Stays is kind of that that guy coming out of high school almost. So you're getting a really good player here and potentially for two years. So that that's a that's a huge pickup. And I don't want people to lose sight of that. That's a that's a guy that could be one of the one of the best weapons in this offense next year if he if he takes the kind of jump that I think he's he's capable of. And and Tom Loy from our Notre Dame site talking to him. Last week on uh, on the day he committed, said he thinks no question he's an NFL player. Um, that, that Notre Dame kind of churns out NFL tight ends left and right. Um, a, a lot to like about Holden stays and and just the upside he has because you know four star out of high school, productive this year at Notre Dame. Um, I, I'll be shocked if he doesn't have a pretty good year for Tennessee, especially playing what looks like it will be a a bigger role. Um, still need to address you know a few positions. Honestly, I, you know they're they're nowhere close to done at portal. We'll see if they're done in the 24 class. You know, they we know they're pursuing Dominic McKinley. The defensive line is a position they, they would be open to the right guy if they can still find something out there. It, we'll see if they look at any other possibilities that tied in. They obviously offered Willie Rodriguez a couple weeks ago and tried to get him late. So can't rule out that somebody unsigned out there might catch their attention. Um, but it's just as easy to go to the transfer portal and look for, for depth, too. So. Um, that that's that's a possibility, you know, whether it's now or in the spring period after spring practice, they might just wait and see how things look there this spring with some of the you know, they've got some walk ons that could probably play in a pinch there. So maybe they uh, look at those guys this spring, see if they like the situation enough. And then if not, go back to the portal in the spring for a, for a guy who can be a number two or three type to to, to help out there and at least play in a pinch. Uh, so, yeah, they, they've got some options there. Those would be the two that kind of stand out to me. And, and I still think there's a a real possibility they go to the portal for a third defensive back, whether it's a corner or a safety. I might lean corner right now, but either of those still a possibility for the right guy. So we'll see what they do there. I don't think they want to block those young guys, but you probably need at least another body, especially after they missed on, on Jaron Sensabaugh at the end. Patrick, you agree with, with those positions, D line corner. Yeah, I, I think corner from a number standpoint uh, is, is going to be, I think it makes sense to add, Somebody there, probably somebody on the younger side, maybe not necessarily a, a veteran guy. Um, you kind of want to maybe keep all those guys pretty close together in, in eligibility uh, time uh, in terms of eligibility. On defensive line, I, I wonder what they're going to do with that that strong side defensive end spot that, that's going to be open with Tyler Barron moving on. 
Uh, they've got some guys there that have played a lot. Dominic Bailey and Tyree West. I think those guys combined for one sack this season. So if you could get the right guy, maybe a, 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 a plug and play guy there would make sense. Maybe more than defensive tackle. Now, if you could get a young defensive tackle, I think that would make a lot of sense, but you know, that's a position that's going to be pretty crowded next season with some of the guys that either have announced that they're coming back or soon probably will come back or, or do the same. Um, Pat, I, for, I, I do, forgot receiver. I, I forgot receiver because well, I almost forget that Chris Brazel's like not a done deal. They still got to get a right. starting receiver possibly. Yeah, receiver would be on there too. I'm interested to see at, the, at that defensive end spot. I mean, do they kick David Hobbs back out there? Because I think that's where they wanted to play him initially um, before they kind of had to move him inside early this season. I wonder how they uh what what they'll what their approach will be there because he's a guy that's really athletic but yeah i think those two spots on the defensive line and then wide receiver some might say they need to add a running back i i don't i don't see the need there maybe from a number standpoint but i think that's going to be a hard position and then you know josh heupel was asked about you know would they bring in another quarterback and uh, i'm sure they would love to but um it's just going to be really hard uh because because guys in the quarterbacks in the portal want to come and play um, and if you're coming to Tennessee as a quarterback, you're you're not going to play unless Nico gets hurt. So that's just the bottom line. Ryan, how can uh, people follow the site and, and what can they expect from the site in the coming days as, as we move away from the first day of the early signing period? Yeah, well, first of all, if you're not a subscriber to the site, uh, our, our signing day sales, 60% off your first year. Great, great time to, to sign up. And, and even though signing day or early signing day has passed, as we touched on, 24 class not over yet so plenty of recruiting there uh to to keep track of at least with uh with dominic mckinley and we'll see what else pops up and then transfer portal it doesn't close till january 2nd and several more weeks of that probably into mid-january with uh with portal recruiting and then it'll fire back up after spring practice and also hey on to the 2025 class george mcintyre the five-star quarterback probably just a few weeks away from announcing his decision so we'll have uh kind of the stretch run of that one and uh and, and a bunch of other top targets that now Tennessee can fully turn their attention to, to that class. So uh, lots to keep track of in recruiting, basketball, bowl coverage, offseason, you know, any possible coaching changes, so much more. Lots to keep track of at GoVols247.com and check out all the coverage as we continue to track these remaining transfer portal targets and any others that might pop up soon. He's Ryan Callahan. I'm Ben McKeon. For Patrick Brown, this has been another edition of the GoVols247 podcast. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want 
that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.